Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Okay, so... Uh, glad to be here. Um, lots has changed. I mean, this is a crazy season we find ourselves in. Um, lots has lots has been challenging, but there's some bright lights in there. I'm a grandpa, right? And that, uh, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for not showing a picture of her. But uh, my little granddaughter Ava was born in May, and uh, she's doing well. And if there was a picture, you'd be distracted for the rest of the morning anyway. So, um, but uh, so some things, some good things definitely have happened in the midst. But but it feels like every week we're being challenged with some sort of new protocol or routine or something that we need to be doing uh, to try and kind of help minimize uh, risk of infection. And, uh, and some of you may know that I, I uh, manage uh, a local uh, rehab for men that uh, works with guys struggling with mental health and addiction. And uh, in my role as general manager, I'm working with the public health uh, kind of every week and trying to make sure that I'm on top of the protocol. We have a, a resident population, and so those are uh, kind of at-risk populations. So I have to make sure that, that we're doing what we need to. And one of the things that, uh, that we had to do early on was we had to begin a whole screening protocol. Right, and, and you're familiar with this, that, that there's questions to answer uh, for staff as they begin their shift, as clients in the morning and then in the evening and do it again. Uh, but it's not just questions, it's taking temperatures to try and kind of catch a fever at the early stages so that we can kind of maybe screen someone out from contaminating the rest of uh, our community. And, uh, and when we started in the pandemic, we had kind of a thermoscan, you know, the, the ones that you've probably had where you kind of stick it in your ear and it takes the temperature. It's very accurate, um, uh, not too intrusive, but, uh, but the challenge of doing that 30 or 40 times a day uh, and, and being able to find those little caps that go on top of it because apparently people aren't comfortable with someone else's earwax being put into your ear, right? So, but that, again, that was one of the things that was hard to kind of come up with during uh, the early seasons is that we couldn't even find caps to be able to kind of do that. So... We came up with lots of creative ways, but, but then I realized the best solution is to come up with those infrared scanners, right? The ones where you just kind of point the laser at someone's forehead and, uh, and it kind of tells you their temperature. So, uh, so went on Amazon because that was, seemed to be the only way to try and find one. And, uh, the one of them that we ordered actually, it, it only took three months to get to us. So that was not so helpful. Uh, but one of them that we did get, um, I, I put it out, took it out, started using it, and I thought I'd better test it, right? So I took a number of temperatures, and, uh, and then I compared it with our thermoscan machine that we had. And I realized that, that this new infrared scanner was at least a degree cooler than the thermoscan. I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? That's not helpful. So I figured this is a, this is a fancy new digital machine, lots of buttons on the back. I'm going to go through the, uh, the owner's manual, and uh, there's got to be a way to recalibrate this thing. And if any of you have, have kind of looked at, at almost anything that is sold uh, on Amazon that's digital, those uh, instruction manuals are rarely written by someone who I think speaks English as a first language, right? So these, this is hard. I'm reading through. But, but there's no way to recalibrate this thing. And, uh, and I have no alternative. So, so what I have to put up here is the, uh, is the picture 
I have to put a label on our scanner to kind of clarify that uh, 36.9 is the kind of danger zone, right? So that was what I had to do because I couldn't recalibrate our thermometer, right? And a thermometer, like many of our tools that we rely on in life, is only as helpful as it's reliable, right? There's expectation that this tool is going to be able to do what I need it to be able to do, right? It reminds me of kind of, remember, like, like old weigh scales, right? The ones where they kind of had a, a little bit of a bounce to it. They always had that little knob at the front that you could kind of calibrate, right? So you could kind of say over the years with all that weight that's been on it, it's not so accurate, but we can adjust it to kind of zero it in and make sure that it's still accurate. Or you can kind of play games with people who are weight conscious in your family, right? It's, it's a way to kind of do that. But, but that ability to recalibrate is so important. Now, being able to recalibrate is important because I think that's something that comes with, uh, that, that life is really like that. Life is a constant balance of order and chaos. Our confidence to step out into the chaos of something new is really kind of predicated on this expectation that I kind of know what to expect. And once I step out into the chaos of something new, some uncharted territory, I have to keep recalibrating my expectations to make sure that I can keep moving forward. Um, and, pr- and maybe marriage is one of our, our best examples of this, right? We think about marriage like we start with the season of dating, right? Where two people uh, are hanging out with each other and uh, they're working hard to... <clears throat> they are working hard. I want to make sure I say this right because this is awesome. Two people who begin a process of dating where they convince themselves that everything about the other person is attractive and good, all right? And this is often enough of, uh, of a time to convince the couple that living together is a good idea for the rest of their lives. And then there's this magical point when they get married, and we call it the end of the honeymoon period, right? Where we realize that all those things that we had convinced ourselves that we thought were really cute and attractive actually drive us crazy, right? And, and that's why marriage is a great example of this need to be able to recalibrate our expectations, that we enter into a relationship, and if we have these rigid sets of expectations of what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to feel like, what they're supposed to do, what I'm supposed to do, and we can't recalibrate, we find ourselves in a dead end. We find ourselves in a place where it's not going to be a very enjoyable, fulfilling relationship. So the idea of recalibration is something that I've been reflecting on a lot through this uh, kind of pandemic season, as we find ourselves in some ways kind of on pause. It's something that's been thrust upon us. And in a very real way, we find ourselves in a season of chaos where so many of the things that we become accustomed to, that we're used to, have been suspended, and then we're left wondering, like, when are we going to be able to return to normal? Or will there be a normal to return to? So this morning, whenever we step out into something new, something uncomfortable, something unexpected, scary, we are stepping out into chaos where our assumptions, goals, and values will be tested. And the journey into chaos is always a valley, It's always a valley, and the only really question is whether or not that valley is a deep one or a shallow one. So this morning I want to use this little symbol of 
uh, of kind of the valley here for us to kind of visualize what it's like to go through a season of recalibration where we kind of step out into a zone that's new and uncharted. It may be something that we choose to do. It may be something that we're kind of pushed out into and we don't have that choice and recognizing that there's always going to be a step down. It's always going to be an uncertain step. The only question is kind of how deep, how difficult, how painful that valley will be. So the big idea for us to wrestle with this morning is that chaos always recalibrates our sense of who we are, what we do, and why we do it. So so chaos always recalibrates our sense of mission, our sense of of identity and our sense of purpose. And so for us to kind of see how that works itself out, I want to pick on a well-known first century uh, Christian leader who I think gives us a great example of what recalibration in a season of chaos can look like. And we're going to take six snapshots this morning uh, to look at this character as it's developed over a number of years. And, uh, and I, love, I love the scriptures in general because they do such a good job of presenting real people, real, raw, unvarnished people. It's not sanitized versions. These are real people that we can identify. And this character, I think, is one of the easiest ones for us to kind of uh, identify with. He's uh, larger than life. He's brash, bold, foolish. Uh, but I think because of his example, we're able to really see ourselves in it. And I'm referring to uh, the first century Christian leader that would become known as the Apostle Peter. Uh, he's often referred to as Simon Peter and, uh, and often just referred to as Peter. And uh, so snapshot number one, we're going to look at six snapshots. And the bottom line is Peter is front and center in almost all of the great stories, all of the great examples of uh, teachable moments that Jesus has. So I'm just going to pick six because I think it helps us kind of navigate, again, this idea of watching him go through this journey of the chaos, the valley of chaos. All right, so the first snapshot Uh, we're going to see in Matthew 4. And most of the snapshots, we're going to look at uh, Matthew's uh, account. And in Matthew 4, we are first introduced to Peter as a fisherman who's just coming in after a night of fishing. And uh, as he's there, Jesus is on the beach. And Matthew says that Jesus simply gives him this invitation, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And in verse 20, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And when I read that, I don't know about you, I must think Peter must have really hated his job for all it to, for, for it to just take a guy showing up on the beach and inviting him out of the boat, right? For him to leap out of the boat, he must have hated his job. But to be fair, I think there's a backstory there that we maybe don't always appreciate, that, that Peter was a follower of John the Baptist, who had been ministering in Israel for uh, two or three years, kind of beginning to call and create this anticipation for what God was going to do. And so John was gathering huge crowds, this crazy, wild, kind of outsider, outlier, camel skin, eating locusts, and, and challenging people to come back into the center of what life with God was supposed to look like. And of course, there's this uh, powerful symbol that we still celebrate, this idea of allowing ourselves to kind of be dipped in water. The old life um, is washed away and we step into this new life. And that was what John was doing. And he made it clear that he was really only preparing the way 
for someone else that God was going to send who was going to kind of bring around, bring about this new kingdom, this new era. And so when Jesus shows up uh, at the Jordan and John baptizes him, there's this significant transition where John's ministry kind of takes a back seat and Jesus becomes front and center. And it's clear so that when Jesus, when, uh, when Peter comes in on his boat and sees Jesus on the beach, this is, this is someone Peter is aware of. This is someone that he knows who it is. And for Jesus, this person that John had been uh, saying was going to come and bring in this new era, this was an invitation for Peter to be in the inner circle of what God was doing. And Peter's decision, being in the center of what God is up to, was a chaos valley worth jumping into. Right With that anticipation, and this is hundreds of years of Jewish anticipation that God was going to send someone that was going to turn things around for Israel, this was an opportunity for Peter to leave his life and jump into something that was exciting and worth, uh, worth giving his life for. So that's snapshot number one. Peter leaps out of his boat. Okay? So snapshot two, we jump ahead to Matthew 16. And of course, at this point, Jesus is... Uh, is teaching and his miracles are are drawing huge crowds people are intrigued by the authority that he speaks with they are drawn into these stories that are simple and easy for them to be able to understand Uh, and the miracles he's doing make it obvious that that he has god's stamp of approval on him so the crowds are beginning to develop this anticipation that god is up to something and jesus is going to make it happen um, and in verse uh, 15 of Matthew 16, we have Jesus pulling apart uh, his, his uh, inner circle of disciples away from the crowds, and he's asking them, who do, who do the people say I am? Who are the crowds saying I am? And then he transitions into this next question, uh, verse 15. He says to, to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And of course, it's Simon Peter who jumps right to the front of the queue and doesn't miss a beat. He's connecting the dots, and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's Simon who connects the dots with all that anticipation of what John had been doing, everything that the prophets had been looking forward to for 400 years, and, and Peter is the first one to verbalize that confession, the belief that Jesus was the Christ, the sent one, the anointed one that God had sent, the hero that was going to turn things around for his people. And, and Peter's rewarded for that confession. Because Jesus says in, eight, in verse 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, which is a little play on words, because the, word, the name Peter means rock, and he says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and can you imagine what, G, uh, what Peter is thinking at this point? Right? He's thinking, all right, that leap out of the boat, leaving my life of fishing and a, a steady income and kind of who I am in the community, all those kind of things, he's saying this is definitely paying off. Right? I'm just being, I've just been kind of affirmed that I'm going to be kind of on the ground floor, the foundation of what God is going to be doing in this new kingdom. So at this point, uh, if we're going back to our, our, uh, our you, right, our valley, we're, we're looking at this idea that at this point, that valley does not seem like it is very steep. Right? The, the bottom to that is just going to be a little hiccup, that it's all up and to the right. So snapshot number two, Peter jumps to a life-changing conclusion. All right, snapshot number three, 
is still in Matthew 16. Uh, and, and we see kind of a pivot point here that with Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he's the hero that God has sent, that now Jesus switches gears and he begins to talk to his disciples about this idea of him needing to suffer. And verse 21 says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so if we are mapping Peter's, uh, Peter's kind of dip into the valley of chaos, this is the first step that seems to be going down. This is the first step that seems to be kind of going deeper and, and in a little bit more of a worrisome direction than, than it has up to this point. Because Peter, like most of his Jewish contemporaries at the time, they wouldn't have had a, a category for a Messiah who was going to suffer. All of the prophets and their interpretation of everything that the prophets have been saying for four or five hundred years was all about the idea of, of a, a hero that would ride in with an army that would vanquish all enemies. That was their only category for Messiah, for Savior, that they had. And so to hear Jesus talking about this idea that he was going to have to suffer and die was kind of bumping up against Peter's expectation of how this was supposed to go. And what happens when we bump up against someone who is kind of moving us in a direction that we don't think is where we need to go? We start to resist. We start to resist. And um, and what happens is that Peter takes Jesus aside... And uh, in, in verse 23, it says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And rebuke is a pretty serious word. Have you ever been rebuked? Like that's when someone kind of gets in your face and tells you how it is. Right? This is, this is, at least Peter's pulling him aside, so it almost feels like it's a little bit of a personal thing. But this is how passionate Peter is about making sure that he kind of corrects Jesus from getting off course. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turns to Peter in verse 23, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so there's a little bit of whiplash here. If we go back to the passage just before, and, and Jesus has affirmed this confession that Peter has made, Peter's, and the confession that he's had is going to be the foundation that this new kingdom is going to be built on. Peter's feeling good about being a part of that in the center of it. And now he's being identified like Satan, the adversary, the one who gets in the way of what God is trying to accomplish. Peter's resistance to recalibrating his expectations starts here as a mental resistance. So that's snapshot number three. Peter steps too far. Snapshot number four, Matthew 26. If there had been any hope that Peter's valley into this uh, chaos, uh, valley of chaos was going to be able to flatten out, it disappears when one of the actual inner core of Jesus' disciples betrays Jesus, Judas, um, to the religious leaders who are looking for him. Of course, the religious leaders are worried that the crowds that are following Jesus are, are going to get so excited about what Jesus is saying that Rome is now going to get upset and worried that there's going to be an insurrection and they're going to come in and crush and quench that whole thing. So the, the religious leaders are eager to uh, pull Jesus out and silence him. Um, <clears throat> and, if, uh, and, and so verse 51 of Matthew 26. 
And we see that, uh, that in the midst of this crowd, the temple guards are trying to arrest Jesus. Jesus says, it's me who, who you want. Let everyone else go. Uh, we read this. Verse 51, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. All right, so one guess. Who Matthew doesn't name who this guy is that reaches for a sword and, and, and swings. But it's Peter. Right? Again, it's Peter who, again, is struggling and resisting this sense of, of what God is trying to accomplish. Jesus says to him, put your sword back in its place. All this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then re- later in verse 56, we see that all the disciples left him and fled. All of them left them and fled. So we see that the valley of chaos is now starting to turn into a spiral. It's getting deep. It's getting painful. Uh, the, the, the disciples now are kind of fleeing, not really sure what's going on. So snapshot number four, uh, Peter lashes out. Snapshot number five, we find Peter gathered outside of where Jesus is being interrogated and accused by the high priests. The crowd now is in this kind of in-between zone of trying to figure out how is this person who has kind of God's stamp of approval with the miracles, he's so powerful with his teaching, but now he is he can't even kind of prevent himself by being arrested by the, the religious establishment. They're, they're double, they're kind of second-guessing themselves. What's going on? Peter himself must be replaying moments, right? Jumping out of the boat. Um, kind of being identified as, as being the cornerstone of this new movement that Jesus was going to be doing. But it shouldn't be surprising that when some of the crowd identified Jesus, or identified uh, Peter as being one of, of Jesus' disciples, that Peter is no longer in the zone where he feels like there's any advantage for him to identify himself with Jesus. Right? And he repeatedly disavows knowing Jesus to three different people. Verse 75 of Matthew 26, And Peter remembered that saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly, as it all kind of comes together. So there's this mental resistance that we see as, as uh, Simon uh, Peter uh, rebukes Jesus. There's the lashing out and, and trying to physically prevent things from going in the direction that he, he doesn't think they're supposed to go. And now there's this kind of emotional surrender as, as Peter just walks away from even identifying himself with Jesus. And how bitter that would have been for him to kind of have almost be walking away from three years of commitment. So that's snapshot number five. Peter runs away. The last snapshot, of course, is, is where everything turns around. Everything changes for Peter and for the disciples. Right? As the crushing disappointments of his arrest and his crucifixion pivot with the amazement of his resurrection. Finally, all the strange statements that Jesus had been making for so long about having to suffer, of having to die, and then somehow coming back to life would have started to make sense. Suddenly they would be able to understand this new paradigm that Jesus came not to be a political, military revolutionary, but to be a spiritual revolutionary, to bring a new way of being spiritually alive to God. And I love how John wraps up his account of Jesus, John 21, where we have Jesus kind of going out and tracking down Peter where he has retreated back to his boat, 
right? We've got the full circle in his valley. He starts from the boat and is invited out of it. And now, in kind of resignation, the disciples have kind of gone back to their old life, not really sure where they need to go now. And we have this picture of Jesus sitting down with Peter at the beach having breakfast. Can you imagine what it's like to be Peter trying to look across the circle at, at Jesus, who he had resisted, who he had tried to, to kind of lash out and prevent from being arrested, who he had disowned. And we have this beautiful reinstatement where Jesus three times asks Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. And then he responds with a, with a new invitation, a new a way to understand his mission. And he says, then feed my sheep, then feed my lambs, then feed my sheep. Verse 17 of Matthew, or, uh, John 21. And he said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Right? It must have just kind of stuck with him that, that being reminded of three times that he had uh, disowned Jesus. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In the very end of that chapter, a few verses farther down, uh, we see that Jesus f- offers him the opportunity again to follow him. And I, and I love this sense of us being able to track with Peter kind of into this valley of chaos as he struggles and resists with the sense of, of his understanding of what God was doing, of his understanding of what his role in it was, and gradually learning to recalibrate his expectations to this final invitation to again follow Jesus. And of course, it's in Acts chapter 2 that we see uh, the disciples standing up in front of huge crowds of, of, uh, of Passover uh, visitors who are preaching Christ crucified. And who is it that's at the front who's preaching the loudest? It's Simon Peter. And, and 3,000 people make the decision to begin following Christ. And that's the beginning of the church. That's the beginning of a movement that would move throughout the Roman Empire and would impact all of the world over the next 2,000 years. Follow me, Jesus says, as he reinstates Simon. So this morning, I don't know, maybe some of you, like Peter, have jumped out of your boat and into the chaos of a relationship or a job, and you're wrestling with the disappointment of how that's panned out. Maybe you've just found yourself in a season of chaos that is the result of the decision of someone else. Uh, maybe it's the result of something outside of your control, like a, like a health concern. I wonder, if, I wonder how much of our frustration, resentment, and discouragement in this season could be God inviting you to recalibrate your sense of identity, mission, and purpose. Could it be that the frustration, resentment, and discouragement you're feeling in this season is actually your resistance to the recalibration that he's inviting you into? My hope this morning is that you can find comfort in Peter's journey as we watched him go through the valley of chaos and that you could find the courage to embrace the hard work of recalibration. And, and this is the first Sunday of Advent. We begin a season of anticipation around the hope that was born in a humble manger so long ago. 
What if we embrace this season of chaos with the hope that, like Peter, God can help us emerge from it with a powerful new sense of our identity, mission, and purpose? And the season is kind of testing all sorts of things that we kind of take for granted, things that we kind of maybe just were going through the motions of doing. And a season like this can be that recalibration that reminds us what is most important, what we can maybe step away from, and what we need to embrace even tighter. Can I pray for us? Father, we thank you this morning for uh, the reminder that uh, you walk with us through the valleys. Uh, God, we, we acknowledge this morning that, uh, that some of the valleys we walk into ourselves, hoping that they're going to take us somewhere good, but they don't always. And sometimes we end up in, in the valley, and it is not because of our own decision, it's because of the de- bad decisions of other people, or if it's just the way life goes. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning that all of, all of those things, those steps out that we find ourselves in uncharted territory, can be opportunities for you to help recalibrate some of the most important things that we know about ourselves. Father, pray that, uh, that we would be able to recognize the resistance that we have inside to change, to recalibration, that we would be open to recognizing what we need to leave behind and what we need to step forward into. Father, my, my hope is, is, is just recognizing that wouldn't it be amazing for us in six months, in eight months, in 12 months, for your people to emerge from this season with a crystallized, powerful sense of who we are, what we do, and why we do it. God, would you help us to have the courage to, to step that out, to, to ask those tough questions, to do the reflection while we're in the valley so that you can invite us to follow you. We thank you for the privilege of being here, of being able to gather together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.